Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Hey, 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 we made it to Friday. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Wherever you're listening, thanks for joining us. Thanks for making Sports Talk Mississippi part of your Friday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. The C Spire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. That's the best way for you to get in touch with us and let us know your thoughts on whatever it is that we're talking about. Again, the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. C Spire, customer inspired. The weekend starts, oh, I guess in a couple of hours. you got baseball this weekend with both Mississippi State and Ole Miss, in addition to Southern Miss all being at home this weekend. Rebels hosting Princeton. The Princeton Tigers out of the Ivy League who have played a grand total of four games this year, all against the same opponent. Hey, hey, Dad, who is it that Mississippi State plays this weekend? Quinnipiac. There you go. See, it took you four days, but you made it. Mississippi State hosting a 1-8 and eight Quinnipiac team this weekend. Got Southern Miss at home this weekend as well. We'll talk with Luke Johnson on the Farm Bureau phone line about that coming up in about half an hour. Michael Borky, what's up on a Friday? Uh, I have seen the most disgusting food option in the history of the world. A buddy of mine sent me this graphic from the... Uh, SEC women's basketball tournament currently going on right now in in Greenville, South Carolina. And they did a really cool thing where they had specialty hot dogs for every state uh, that is represented. Mississippi's, for whatever it's worth, is pulled pork and comeback sauce, which I don't know if those really go together. I appreciate using the Mississippi comeback sauce in your hot dog. Like, that takes some research, and I appreciate that. But that and pulled pork don't really mix. Either way... Most of them hey, are fun. Have you got to try, though? Yeah, I would try pork it. pork on top of your hot dog on a bun with some comeback sauce? I, I'm, I'm not opposed to that. Not the worst thing ever. Like Texas's, for example, is tomatoes and tortilla strips and chili and cheddar cheese bacon. Like, that sounds like a fine hot dog. You have... Yes, please. Uh, South Carolina's, which is uh, peach, coleslaw, red peppers and onions and chipotle mayo. Like, okay, fine. And then you get to Arkansas. Arkansas's specialty hot dog at the women's SEC tournament is lettuce, tomato, pickle, onion, fried bologna, and mayonnaise on a hot dog. That's gross. That's like something I would have eaten when I was 19, hungover, and had $4 in my bank account. I bet it's more than a $4 hot dog, though. <laughs> Probably so. But my guy hey, Zach the, just sent that uh, to uh, me, and I wanted to throw up. Hey, Dad, of the hot dogs mentioned, and I know you're not a hot dog guy, which of those would you be most inclined to try? I think the Texas one had my, my had my attention. You're not on to the uh, pulled pork comeback sauce on top of the hot dog? Well, comeback sauce, 
is sort of mayonnaise-based, and pulled pork and mayonnaise doesn't really get the job done. What about you, Rippy? Are you looking for a Pringles option on your hot dog for you to uh, jump in and, and be willing to try it? I wasn't paying attention. I missed the options. What You've a, got the Mississippi hot dog that is pulled pork and comeback sauce. You've got the Texas version, which sounded pretty good, Borky. What was all? What all? There was yeah. bacon on there. We'll just go through them here. So uh, Mississippi was pulled pork and comeback sauce. Gainesville was lettuce, tomato, fried gator bites. And spicy Ooh. remoulade. 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 I said it right the first time. Georgia is uh, Italian sausage crumbles and peach relish on a hot dog. Oh, I always think so about Georgia and their the Italian food. the cliche thing in each state and putting it on a, what is otherwise a normal hot dog? Precisely, yes. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I'll take the one with relish. Alabama's is pulled chicken, Monterey Jack cheese, and Alabama white barbecue sauce. I don't like the white okay. sauce. Missouri's you don't? is shred. Ooh. Nah, it's mayonnaise. Mayonnaise, something wrong with you. <laughs> You're not wrong. I've had a four-month-old, or I've only had a, or been a dad for four months, and I've got the jokes down. <laughs> Missouri's is shredded cabbage, cabbage, boneless pork ribs, and barbecue sauce. That sounds like that should be Tennessee's, right? Okay. New Orleans gumbo dog. This is just, this sounds like it doesn't make sense. Cajun-inspired chicken gumbo on a hot dog. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, what, do you just yeah, pour it I, on top I of it? To, I, what? I hate to be that guy. In terms of Louisiana food, gumbo is not my favorite. And I know there are lots of people that have, oh, give me a cup of gumbo for a side. And, you know, I'm not against that. And I'll eat gumbo I just don't like it nearly as much as I like jambalaya. Like, I am all about some jambalaya, especially good, like, legitimate, well-done. You had a, a full-blooded Cajun that made it. They did it in one of those big 50-gallon cast-iron pots, and, you know, it took a long time, and they added the chicken and the sausage and whatever else that goes into it. I'm just so much more of a jambalaya guy than I am a gumbo guy. Is that wrong? No. It's understandable. There's really there's, bad gumbo out there. There's no wrong answers when it comes to New Orleans food. That too. Whatever you want to eat is is probably going to be good. And and if you go to any restaurant in New Orleans, let's say Richard go. and I go, I like gumbo. So it's like we can go to any restaurant in New Orleans and Richard can get jambalaya and I can get gumbo and nobody has to complain. Yeah, like One of my favorite spots in New Orleans is Mr. B's. Uh, I mean, Great you know, if, you, if you like to eat and you go to New Orleans on a regular basis, there's a good chance you've tried Mr. B's at some point. And their barbecue shrimp is messy, like messy to the point of just embrace the mess and then go wash your hands in the bathroom downstairs when you're done. But the gumbo yaya just doesn't do it for me. And like I've gotten that as an appetizer before, and it's like i got to go with a different route. But that's just me. Um, a few others? Right. Do you want the rest What's of them? What's coming up this afternoon? We've got some hoops to talk about. Final? Oh, yeah, yeah. Finish up. Sorry, I didn't mean to uh, derail that. Uh, Nashville dog. Shredded cabbage, fried pickles, and the Nashville hot sauce. Gross. Hmm. Is that the last one? I've, I've done, like, the, you know, I've, I've got, like, property taxes in Nashville now. And... <laughs> So I've gotten the hot chicken, the Nashville hot chicken, several times this year when I've been up here. 
And it's good, but it's like, eh, just like, okay, good. And finally, the Kentucky Bourbon Dog smoked brisket, shredded cheddar cheese, onion straws, and a bourbon barbecue sauce. I like that one. That's your winner. That's the winner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely that's definitely going to be the, uh, the the dog of choice where I at this tournament. But definitely not Arkansas. Whatever this is, no, from Arkansas. under no circumstances. I tweeted you at buy, the, <laughs> buy that for me. No, I, I wouldn't need it. I tweeted at the FBI and uh, asked them to. You had a good list of people. Something. You, uh, <laughs> yeah, John Stamos, the president. That's a good choice. I would have I would have added Brock Lesnar, but that's about it. Uh, Brock Lesnar could have uh, done a lot more than John Stamos would have, I guess. Probably so, yeah. Jeff and Carrollton makes a really good point. Those hot dogs sound good, but only if you leave the hot dogs out of the equation. <laughs> it's true. It's true story, Jeff. Speaking of basketball this weekend, by the way. Yeah. The egg bowl of basketball, egg skit ball, Don't egg skit bowl, whatever. I tried to get that off the, the ground uh, a few years ago, and it obviously did not take. It, it, imagine that, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so just baseline thoughts from the two of you on this game uh, coming up tomorrow. It means a lot to Mississippi State, and I, I don't know what it means to Ole Miss, but I, I think that State – I'm worried about them mentally. I'll put it that way. They, they, they. I think they realize the bubble's probably popped. So, what kind of effort are they going to give? Now, obviously, they'd like to come out and you know not get embarrassed the way they were in Oxford. I'm sure Robert Woodard, when we talked to him today, said left a bad taste in his mouth. But what can they do about it? Can they go out there and be effective against that one-three-one? They were unable to do anything last time out. Rippy, what about you? Yeah, I mean, at this point, it's really just Ole Miss playing, I guess, spoiler. As Haydad mentioned, their states and CEO hopes are kind of on life support. Ole Miss, I guess, kind of go in there in the role to just kind of issue the kill shot to those NCAA tournament hopes. But, you know, aside from that, it's really about it for them. Not much postseason, uh, not hardly any postseason implications, I don't guess, unless they went nuts in Nashville and, you know, maybe snuck in the NIT. But I don't really see that happening either. So it's really the only kind of mindset that coming off to – Pretty decently well played games in a row, and really about all I got. This is going to be kind of a ridiculous question, but I think it's a conversation worth having. So, coming up next, I'll ask K Dad, how important is this game for Ben Hallen? Like, are we approaching must win territory? Not because of postseason stuff. I mean, of course it is if they want to make the tournament, they probably can't lose again. But Wrapping around a season of letdown or disappointment with losing to Ole Miss twice, I imagine it's not going to sit very well. So does he have to win this game to earn any kind of favor back with his fan base? We'll address that next at Sports Talk Mississippi. Pose the question, how important is this game for Ben Halland? Is it a must-win beyond just trying to get in to the NCAA tournament? That's the question here. Sports Talk Mississippi, Michael Borky, Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you. So, hey, Dad. Not to uh, sidetrack things, but Bring it. Uh, Mike Leach has tweeted for, this, I think, the second time in a row, a picture of a battery and a nose ring. Do you know what's up here, hey, Dad? 
<laughs> I think that would hurt a lot if, you, if somebody did it to you. But uh, I think he I, tweeted I, out last night and he, then deleted it. He did tweet it that and, out uh, before, refired. so he, he maybe he really likes this one. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, continue. I, mean, I just it's, didn't know if it's that was funny like a to Yahtzee think about. Type of thing. Yeah. Well, and then he also. I, I'm not aware of any commitments, and I will be really, really excited if the announcement for a commitment is a crazy meme. <laughs> he also uh, tweeted an image of a guy laying on a hospital bed talking to a police officer, and it says, "quote." And then all I said was, "Gee, honey, J Lo is your age." <laughs> I would love to know what Mike Leach's search history is. It's it's got to be something. <laughs> anyway, so the basketball game coming up tomorrow. How important is this game for Ben Howland? Is it a must win beyond NCAA tournament aspirations? Does he just need to win this game to keep any kind of favor that still may be remaining in that fan base? That's a it's an interesting question because you know you think about the the quote unquote egg bowl rivalry in basketball. And you know you wouldn't think that the series you know would 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 hold that much weight, but at the end of the day, Howland has improved the MSU program from when he got there, right? I mean, when he took it over, it was bad. It was the worst in the conference, and you know it's been a process to sort of get to this point. And he, they've definitely underachieved this year, but they should have more support than they do. And I can't help but think that part of the reason they don't have the support is his record against Ole Miss. I mean. I'm sure Ole Miss fans will, you know, I'm sure, let me, let me think of a good name here. Grinder Reb 64 will uh, be on Twitter. Oh, so state fans care about us beating Ole Miss. But it is important to beat Ole Miss. And Howland's record against Ole Miss is not good. And he's lost a lot of times, or I would say the last three years, he's lost to them with teams that were better than Ole Miss. So that's part, I think that's part of the reason he's never really gotten that support. You think about Mississippi State. People always want to look at the Rick Stansberry era and they'll look at the fan support they had. They dominated Ole Miss. He was twenty three and seven against them as a coach. So, I mean, is it in terms of must win? You know, is is Cohen going to sit him down and go, you know, hey, you've improved the program, but your record against Ole Miss is going to get you fired? No, but in terms of trying to draw support and think about it like this, let's just let's just say it goes bad tomorrow, and you play Ole Miss and you lose them. And then I think, as we discussed yesterday, I'm pretty sure State and Ole Miss are going to meet on Thursday if Ole Miss wins on Wednesday. I mean, if you go 0 3 to them in the season, and that's how they you get get knocked out of the postseason postseason play is to lose to Ole Miss. It's certainly not a good thing for Ben Howland. Well, and you compound that with Ole Miss not being a good team. They have a great player, but uh, they they are certainly not a, a great basketball team. So on top of that, going, I mean, 0 and 2 potentially even. Um, nightmare scenario, 0-3 to what is not a good Ole Miss team just kind of further highlights the, I don't want to call it domination, but it's kind of been like that for the last five years. Yeah, and, it, and especially when you look at, you know, um, Kennedy's last year, that they, they were able to beat State and Oxford in a game where State had a double-digit lead and just, you know, lost the game. So, yeah, I mean, look at Hallen, what his first year was 14-15, I believe. So he's one, two, three, four, five. I think he's something like three and six against Ole Miss, something like that. So 
I mean, it's, it's not that's that's not what you want from the head coach. You know, every coach who takes a job at Mississippi State is invariably asked, "What do you think of the Egg Bowl rivalry?" And they all are. I think they're given the same answer. We know how important it is to our fans that we win that game, it, be, be it football, basketball, baseball, whatever. And so, for Howland to not have had success and to have had better teams than Ole Miss, I mean, if he was losing, if Ole Miss was a power in basketball, you know, if it was like North Carolina, North Carolina State then I don't think it would be as bad. But three years in a row you've lost to an Ole Miss team that you were better than, including one at home last year. That That's something, you know, fans aren't going to put up with that. And especially uh, those Egg Bowl quotes get really interesting when you have uh, Big J journalists from CBS uh, misappropriating things to make it sound a little bit more spicy as well. But maybe that's very a, true. Maybe that's a conversation for a different day. Rippy, on, on the other side of things, I mean, Ole Miss did start, what, one in seven in SEC play, if they get a win Saturday, they finish seven and eleven in SEC play. Considering the start, would that be viewed as an accomplishment, or really just the season was a disappointment? Doesn't really matter how they closed it. I mean, it would. I mean, they didn't crater what they started zero and six and one and seven. Like that's a fairly decent finish. It's not nothing. I don't know if it ever if it actually means anything, but I do think there's probably something to be said for the season not cratering and them not going. You know, two and sixteen. Which when they got to zero and six, they kind of started counting on your fingers and going through the schedule and being like, yeah, maybe three and fifteen is on the table. So sure, it's. Uh, I mean, it's they rebounded. They had a good stretch, but uh, it's fairly significant. You want to be a part of the conversation, you can. 601-879-4395 on the C Spire text line. But C Spire wants to remind you that uh, we want you to be a part of the show safely, so do not text and drive. Uh, pull over, use the voice text feature, something like that. Just don't text and drive. But we would love to hear from you. We get a text here uh, asking, and this is a question that we're going to get a lot. We've gotten it a lot. But um, people still want to know, could Mississippi State steal Kermit Davis from Ole Miss? I think that answer is a very hard no, uh, but never say never? Obviously, you never say never, but you can almost say never. I I don't see that happening. And it feels like that bridge was burned a few years ago. On top of that, I mean, looking at this year, State's not making a move. It doesn't matter what happens here in these last few games. Howland's going to be the coach next season. How much pressure, I mean, would be on him or will be on him? That's a good question. You know, you look at what you what you're bringing back next year. I think Woodard and Weatherspoon will be back. I don't think Perry will be. You, you're bringing in a, a four star, a high four star kid, a top fifty player nationally as a point guard, and you have Molinar. You got the uh, the transfer Tolu Smith, Tolu Tolu Smith. I'm sorry, I get my Tolus and Tolus uh, confused, and that's going to be difficult for me for the next few years at Mississippi State. Um, so you've got a good nucleus coming back. You're probably going to be in this exact same spot that you are right now. Um, of course, that said, if they can, you know, not lose non-conference games to sub ninety teams, they might be in a better spot. Um, so I mean, would he, you know, if he cratered out next year, if somehow they only won, you know, thirteen or fourteen games, yeah, he'd probably be in a lot of trouble. But if they're around the twenty win mark and they're on the bubble, I mean, I, I just see them going forward with him. So, uh, complete non sequitur here. Um, I didn't realize Mississippi State was still doing early starts in baseball. The Mississippi State baseball yeah. tweets a video of uh, them going through pregame warmups, and I had to look up their schedule to make sure we're still doing State, four o'clock starts for for a weekend. I think next weekend it'll be normal because it's an SEC game. State doesn't play a mid mid uh, 
midweek game with a 6 p.m. start until April as far as home games go. So, yeah. <laughs> so I won't be seeing a lot of midweek baseball at Diddy Noble is basically the the gist of what I'm trying to say here. Yeah, I hear you. Another text on the 662. Did you seriously just tell people from Mississippi to use voice to text? You guys better watch it. I'd hate to have to decipher that. We do get some really funny texts occasionally. My favorite ones, though, are the guys that are like trying to text their wife. We'll get the oh. be home soon, honey, text every so often. That always cracks you, me up. I, 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 try, I have to restrain myself. Like, okay, dear. Yeah. <laughs> Preston and Fulton says put Marshall Henderson on this team probably would be NCAA champions. He puts LOL, so I know he's joking. But um, as as Rippy talked about on the podcast this morning, I mean, Brian Tyree is one of the best complete scorers, I mean, maybe in program history. Yeah. Uh, Howland had high praise for him today at the press conference. Said he's one of the greatest players in Ole Miss history. I don't disagree with that either. Especially after he put up a forty piece last time he had to play. Dude, against he him. is he has owned state, owned them. I, and I think this is his eighth game against MSU. He's been in double figures in five of them, and one of them I know was his first game against state. He didn't play a lot of minutes. And Rippy, you've course, noticed that he elevate. It seems like he really cares about this game, and it it's kind of funny because he's a kid from New Jersey. Yeah, I mean, he's never really shied away that he does get up for this game, and I think some of it has to do with how his career started. Because as I mentioned, maybe I didn't mention this on the radio show before, I can't remember, but like he, his freshman year, he was coming off the ACL injury that he suffered in April, jumping over a ball rack in a dunk contest. And while he was in the mix and he was playing time, I think he was playing like 14, 15 minutes a game, something like that. He, uh, he, he was really just trying to find his athleticism again, I guess if that makes sense. And he had a dunk in a game in Starkville that year that I believe Ole Miss won that AK kind of used as a launching off point to where like he kind of pointed out hey this is uh this is uh this is him kind of being back like this is his athleticism is coming back like you're about to start seeing what this kid can be and I asked Brian about that actually after Tuesday night's win he said yeah I definitely remember that that was the first time I was on sports center so I don't know his, his career kind of started with this rivalry and he's kind of embraced it ever since uh, Trent, we see your question. We also see another one on the text line. We'll get to those, but first we'll talk Southern Miss baseball with Luke Johnson. Been a while, so we'll catch up with him next. at Sports Talk Mississippi. Don't go anywhere. Not only Jimmy Buffett, but the sun actually out on a Friday. Better enjoy it this weekend because uh, spring break week forecast not exactly looking lovely. Glad to have you along. Ceasefire text lines open, 601-879-4395. Later this afternoon, Eric Sorensen will join us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Coming up at the 5 o'clock hour, we'll let you hear from Teddy Cahill again from Baseball America. We talked with uh, Teddy yesterday, really some good stuff in the uh, conversation with him about the entire Southeastern Conference and some focus on Mississippi State and Ole Miss. But right now, we will go to the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com, and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau to check in with our good friend Luke Johnson in Hattiesburg. He's co-host of the Eagle Hour on Super Talk Hattiesburg and Super Talk Laurel. Luke, 9-3. and three. That's the record for Southern Miss right now. We are talking a little bit earlier in the week about kind of where you thought a team would be going into the season compared to where they are going into weekend number four. Uh, how would you evaluate Southern Miss along those terms? Well, I mean, historically, this is Scott Barry's a tied for his best start. Um, Nine and three, 
Um, shouldn't have shouldn't have lost one to Central Arkansas. Um, Ole Miss was a was a great game, and then McNeese State. Uh, the wind was blowing twenty miles an hour, and uh, it's just one of those offensive days. So I think they're I think they're where they they need to be. Um, one of the frustrating things, of course, is uh, Gabe Shepard having not available this weekend with some shoulder tendonitis. Thankfully, it's nothing structural on that. But you seem to be deep pitching wise, and you were concerned a little on the offensive side. It was going to pick up some of the slack, and Charlie Fisher and Will McGillis and, of course, Matt Guidry have uh, have been up to the task. So still want them to see produce some more runs consistently, but you feel really good from a pitching perspective, even without Gabe Shepard. In terms of health so far this season, it has not been the easiest road. You mentioned Gabe Shepard. Will McGillis missed a couple of games uh, with an injury earlier. Team dealt with the flu bug, or not the bug, dealt with a bunch of guys with the flu, testing positive for that and having to miss some time last week and then going into last weekend. Uh, if you get everybody healthy, it, it feels a little bit better all the way around, right? It does. Uh, it looks like Reed Trimble, who's been down for a couple of weeks, he's a, a, a true freshman, played a lot in center field. Looks like he'll be back this weekend. Chad, yeah, everybody other than uh, the Shepherd. Uh, for the most part, should should be healthy to go. Everybody wanted to play that game against Mississippi State Wednesday, and hopefully we can you know find a date to uh, to put it back in the schedule. But it was a really needed Wednesday and Tuesday night off for the Golden Eagles just to to roll in and and to be able to have all all speeds uh, everything ready for this weekend. Yeah, I was curious about that because I asked the question earlier this week. I wonder if you know ultimately for both of these teams getting the full midweek off and kind of being able to rest and get guys healthy a little bit if if maybe it it turns out to be a good thing in the long run i think it will be uh it's just a question of you know where are you going to play this game for southern miss um you know the, the last week in march they play Ole miss on a on a tuesday if you were to play state on a wednesday you got fau the next weekend nobody wants to do that and then later on um, you're playing a midweek between Rice and Old Dominion and then before Louisiana Tech. So I think it's the best thing, but I think both teams really want to play each other. I don't, I can't speak for, for Mississippi State, but of course Southern Miss, especially with some of the teams we've been playing early, it was a, it was a needed RPI game on our schedule. So hopefully, um, they can get it back because our guys had a blast, uh, against Ole Miss a few weeks ago. Yeah, certainly that was a uh, a fun game and uh, was competitive all the way to the uh, to the very end. Walker Powell, I mean, th- this is nothing new. We've seen it before, but he just continues to dazzle when he is completely healthy and on the mound and kind of doing his thing. We're throwing it around today. You know, a lot of a lot of times your Friday night ace never gets pushed to a Saturday starter, and that's what happened. Uh, Powell was a Friday night guy last year; was absolutely tremendous. And as a Saturday starter this year, .82 ERA, um, he's only walked to one person. And so for Christian Ostrander, pitching coach for Southern Miss, I mean, you take your Saturday starter and he becomes your Friday night ace. Oh, by the way, he was the Friday night ace last year. Uh, Walker has, has just been a, a, a warrior his whole life. Uh, he's, he's, faced, he's already been through Tommy John twice. He's a redshirt senior. And uh, just continues to, to impress. At six foot seven. he gets a few – extra miles an hour because of the release point, but his, his, his curveball has been great. But he he, he, he hit, really pounds the zone and trusts his defense behind him. So uh, Golden Eagles, you know, you, you may miss, of course you miss 95, 96-mile-hour fastball with Shepard, but Walker has, uh, has been an, an all-around great pitcher for three years in a row for Southern Miss. 
You know, you mentioned the size, and and it's always fascinating to me because you look at a guy that's you know six five, six six, six seven, and and maybe they're two hundred or two hundred and five or two hundred ten pounds, and you go, that guy is supposed to be a fireballer. And then sometimes you get a guy who's that big. I'm thinking about a couple of Kentucky starters a year ago, or, or a couple of years ago, who you thought would bring it like that from a fastball, but then they end up being like an off speed type pitcher. You know, oh well, there's a good curveball there. But it's only a fastball in the low 80s, or, or, or not low 80s, but in the mid to upper 80s. Walker Powell's one of those guys, though, that has kind of figured out how to use that frame to his advantage. Yeah, I mean, and I, I did ask Ostrander specifically, you know, from a pitching standpoint, do you do you gain any any miles per hour, not on the gun, but in realistically? And I think there's something to it. The ball obviously gets on you quicker. And uh, so he's really, you know, throwing about an 87, 88 mile fastball, and it's really coming in there, you know, 90, 91. And he's found this, he's really comfortable with his secondary pitches, too. And again, especially that 12 6 curveball has been a real, real hammer. But he's not a guy, he doesn't get behind in the counts. I mean, he's, you know what he's going to throw to you, and he's just been extremely effective um, with his consistency and his control. I like the Will McGillis story. Um, what son of a former athletic? I haven't made that up, right? I, I did not make that up that he is Bill McGillis' son, right? No, he's yeah, and he played uh, prep, played prep ball in Addisburg at PCS. Yeah, so so good player out of high school chooses to stay at Southern Miss despite his dad and rest of family going across the country to the West Coast to uh, to San Diego, and has turned into a good player and one of the best offensive threats in the lineup. Yeah, and and. Where he struggled last year was was on the defensive side of the ball, and with Dustin Dickerson coming in, who's an outstanding defensive shortstop, it took pressure off of him. He he learned first base in the off season, and you know that that part of his game was uh, it, it wasn't uh, going to be a burden for him. So he was able to bulk up a little bit, and he is noticeably uh, as more muscle to his frame, and he's hitting three forty four right now. His OPS is over a thousand. He's he's resting in that cleanup spot really well for Scott Berry. All right. Conference play just around the corner. Little Rock this weekend for a three-game series. I think Little Rock comes in 8-6. and six. You certainly would like to see the Golden Eagles play well, certainly win the series. If you can get the sweep, great. But conference play just around the corner. Is it you know kind of status quo where it's Southern Miss and Rice and FAU? Those are the three teams that you're looking at. Uh, maybe Louisiana Tech in the mix as well. Or is there somebody that you think that could kind of pop onto the radar that we're not thinking about going into league play? Eight of the uh, the twelve teams in Conference USA, you know, have have uh, winning season, uh, winning records right now. La Tech, UTSA, Old Dominion, a nine and two and ten and three. So, Old Dominion is supposed to be much better this year than they were last year. So you're looking at four teams with Southern Miss, La Tech, and and FAU. I, I think FAU is probably the team that's going to give Southern Miss uh, the, the most trouble. Uh, thankfully, Rice and La Tech come come to the Pete. Southern Miss has to go to FAU. But uh, don't count Old Dominion out. UTSA really hadn't hadn't played that much competition early on, so that's a little inflated record. But it could be uh, you know a three or four four team uh, chase uh, this year in Conference USA. Visiting with Luke Johnson on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Let's switch gears just for a second. Spring football has it started yet, or is they are they going completely after spring break? Uh, it'll be a few more weeks. Uh, really, the only the news out of coaching, and this is uh, just really really unique uh get a new defensive coordinator uh with caro and tim billings who was the dc goes on the offensive side of the ball Hakeem davis huh. who was the uh, uh secondary coach goes to the offensive side of the ball as a running backs coach so it's been a little fruit basket turnover with jay hobson staff 
but he's excited about the new OC, and, and uh, they'll get after it in a few weeks. People excited about spring football? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, there's a lot of frustration coming off this year how it finished. Um, sure. But I, I think with a you know third third uh, year in a row with a, another quarterback and some of the young guys and especially some of the instant impact guys, particularly outside with wide receivers, it should be should be a, a spring to watch for sure and see how this new offense is going to focus a little more on the running game. Uh, I think always curiosity can create some excitement. Luke, always uh, good to visit with you. Enjoy the weekend, and we'll talk to you soon, my friend. Hi, guys. Thanks a lot. That is Luke Johnson. He is co-host of the Eagle Hour. You can listen to that live from 1 to 2 on weekdays on Super Talk Hattiesburg and Super Talk Laurel. And, of, uh, of course, if you miss it and you're a Southern Miss fan, you don't have that show on your local station, you can always go back and grab the Eagle Hour podcast and uh, get your Southern Miss fix that way. Luke Johnson joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Quick first hour, we will take a timeout and wrap up the 3 o'clock hour right after this. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on Friday. Back in on Sports Talk Mississippi, Michael Borky, Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you. A couple of the texts that I promised we would get to, we'll get to those right now. J.B., asks, what Brian Tyree's draft stock is like? What kind of role could he have in the NBA? So, Rippy, I'll just leave that to you. Brian Tyree, after he's done at Ole Miss, what's his potential future as a pro in America? I really don't know. I mean, I, I'm not a scout, but I guess my amateur evaluation would be you know, he's a six foot two point guard in today's NBA that doesn't particularly defend very well, but also is a very dynamic scorer. So, you know, I mean, you think of smaller guys in the NBA, and like Steph Curry's small, and he's what six three, six three. Yeah, Trey Young is seen as really small. He's six one, like one seventy eight. Brian Tyree's what six two one ninety five somewhere in there. He's not extremely small, but. You know, for a guy like for someone like that, particularly as many guards and capable scoring guards as there in the NBA, you got to be really dynamic doing something to account, or you've got to become a much better defender. So I'm I'm not really sure uh, because you know the way the NBA is going, if you're in that six four to six nine range, six ten, and can shoot the ball and handle it to some degree, that's really what you're kind of looking for. I mean, the Houston Rockets are, I guess, are the extreme example of that, but. I don't know. I mean, never say never. If he if he proves he can really be a dynamic scorer at all three levels, like he was in college, then maybe he gets in a camp and gets hot. I'm not sure. I just uh, it'll be he will be an interesting one to follow because it's not like Terrence Davis where you have the you know the long frame and just the absurd athleticism. But you know he was a really good college player, and he'll he'll definitely have a pro future. I'm just not sure if it's in the NBA or not. Yeah, it's. I mean, I assume you would agree with this. It's a pretty safe bet that. Somebody will give him a look, whether yeah, a summer league shot. You know, maybe even he makes his way on a G League roster. I mean, Dusty Hannes is still playing uh, G League basketball right now. Um, he was up with the Grizzlies for a while. Yeah, got a ten day, didn't he? I don't know if he's still up or not. I think it was a ten day. Either way, so somebody will give him a shot. Whether or not he sticks on a roster is uh, r- remains to be seen. It's just people don't, and I'm not talking about you in particular, JB, but a lot of people don't realize how difficult it is to be an NBA player. 
It's not like the NFL, where every good college player gets on an NFL roster, for the most part. I mean, we've got... There was what? Hey, Dad, seven guys from Mississippi State at the Combine. There was four from Ole Miss. All of them are going to end up at a training camp. You know, It's not like that in the NBA. There'll be guys beyond who were, what were invited to the Combine that will end up at, at a training camp as well. Happens every year. Dusty Hand is also 6'3", 215. And he was a really good scorer himself. Well, that's all he was, though, right? He was a scorer. He was a three-point shooter, and as he got deeper into his career at Arkansas, there were times where he could get into the lane, and he had a little bit of a mid-range game. But he's nowhere close to the athlete that Brian Tyree is. Not even close. So you agree with that sentiment, then, that somebody will give him a look? Yeah, I mean, he'll get a shot. I mean, look, I mean, Brian Tyree... Here, here's the thing that's interesting to me and curious. Obviously, you're going to take a shot at the NBA, right? I mean, you, you want that shot. That's where the best players in the world play. But would you rather kind of chase that NBA dream for two or three years where maybe you get with and kind of stick with a G League team and you make, what, 100000 125000 Isn't that about what they're paying guys in the G League? Something like that. The new CBA gave them more money. I know that. So, so would you rather do that, or would you rather go ahead and say, look, I got enough self-awareness to go, after going through some training camps and some tryouts and some G Leagues, I'm probably not getting to the NBA. But I can go play in Europe for the next decade and can sign maybe a two- or three-year deal out of the, out of the gate that's you know going to pay me three or $400,000 a year. I can go make, I don't know, over the course of 10 years, $4 million in Europe. And kind of let that might be my pro basketball career. So I, mean, the, I guess everybody ultimately wants to play in the United States. Yeah, the uh, the G League salary for just a G League player uh, it's seven grand a month. But if you are a two way guy, which means an NBA team sign, you can have two two way guys where you play on the G League, but they can call you up anytime if somebody gets hurt. Uh, that is uh, seventy seven thousand. Uh, dollars a year. Okay. So what? It's a six month season or maybe a five month season in the G League. So you're looking at 35, somewhere between 35 and 50,000 if you are solely a G League player. Right. And that was, a- um, it's more nuanced than that. So if you're a two way player, you earn up to 385K depending on how many times they pull you up and drop you down and stuff. So that's right. your window. Right, and so the salary is seventy-seven thousand, but then you get paid at the you know the league minimum game rate when you're up with an NBA team, and it gives you a chance to uh, to get to a much higher number. But if you're not going to be moving back and forth, I mean, I just think there's an opportunity economically to be a whole lot better in uh, in Europe. But no, I, I certainly agree with you. He's going to get a shot, and Terrence Davis proved that betting on yourself sometimes is the uh, is the way to go. One hour in the book, Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Eric Sorensen will join us in the 5 o'clock hour. We'll hear from Teddy Cahill on the Farm Bureau phone line in the 5 o'clock hour. Let's take a quick timeout. Sports Talk Mississippi. Today. 4 o'clock it's hour with you on this Friday. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Thanks for being with us. Got the whole crew. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. We just happen to be scattered all over the place you want to text the show c spire text line is open 601-879-4395 601-879-4395 c spire customer inspired 
So we alluded to this yesterday, but didn't really get into it. There is a story from Front Office Sports, which is, I don't know how reputable a website it is, but the author is extremely reputable. Michael McCarthy is the author on this story. And so I give it a lot of credence. And this is kind of a business of sports website. It starts like this. Tony Romo could have the shortest reign ever as the highest uh, paid sports TV analyst in history. Remember, he just signed a 10-year, $18 million contract to be the lead NFL analyst alongside Jim Nance at CBS. Completely reset the market. And yet the lead to this story is he could have the shortest reign ever as the highest paid TV sports analyst in history. Why? Because apparently ESPN is preparing to offer Peyton Manning a record 18 to $20 million a year to serve as the lead analyst for Monday Night Football. If that happens, it would eclipse Romo's new multi-year deal. Peyton Manning is 43. According to the story, he met with ESPN executives over the last few days. I don't know exactly what that means. I don't. This story was published yesterday, so on Thursday, maybe that means he met with them on Wednesday. I know he didn't spend at least the entirety of the day on Tuesday with them, but I don't know. So the two-time Super Bowl winner with the Broncos and the Colts has an existing business relationship with ESPN. Have you guys watched any of the Peyton Place's documentary series? I've seen one, and it was fantastic. It was like the first or second one. They're outstanding. Hey, Dad, have you watched any of those? Have not watched any of those. Not familiar with it even. No. It's really, really good. It's, I mean, it's, it's kind of like behind-the-scenes stories. There was one, one of the very first episodes, he was with uh, Chris Carter, you know, one of the great receivers of all time, and they did the sit-down interview, but it was like, well, hey, how good are your hands really? And so what did they do? They went to Central Park South, so 59th Street in Manhattan. They put Chris Carter down in Central Park and put Peyton Manning like, 25 stories up on one of the high-rise buildings directly across the street from Central Park and then had him launch footballs down for Chris Carter to try and catch. <laughs> Think about that. That's pretty cool, yeah. you you got to have some arm strength just to get it out there, and then Chris Carter's like, man, I've never caught a ball that hurt that bad. I don't think he caught the very first one, but maybe the second or third he uh, he caught up with them. So there is an existing relationship there. We've seen enough of Peyton Manning on television to know that he is comfortable in front of a camera. Conversation yesterday, uh, Borky, I don't remember if it was you that asked it or, or if it was Rippy that asked the question, was, well, how do we know that he's going to be good? I mean, sometimes don't you just know? Well, that, and they have to make sure that it. they clearly do not like their current Monday Night Football setup. I have a feeling that there's only no, so much they negative. They and everybody else, yeah, Porky. There's only so much negative feedback you can hear before you think your good idea is not a good one. I, I admire them for sticking it out after the first season just to see, but it clearly is not something that anybody likes. So, I mean, good on them for trying to make it better. Do you think this is more because of Romo? or more because Monday Night Football has been a disaster and that used to be the staple of regular sports programming was Monday Night Football, and now we're the butt of every joke in town? No, I think it's option three. I mean, they're, 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 no, it has 
it's not Romo. They would have made a run at Romo. But I think deep down ESPN prefers Peyton Manning. Hmm. I don't know that for certain, but I I, I just kind of I, I think they prefer going the Peyton Manning route. They've got to figure out the play-by-play side of it. But I think the third option is this, Borky. It, it has far more to do with ESPN slash ABC slash Disney's desire to get a better football package than they've got right now. If you look at the story at uh, Front Office Sports written by Michael McCarthy, you see that ESPN is the first network to have its deal with the NFL come up. So following the 2021 season, their deal for Monday Night Football runs out. NBC Sunday Night Football does not run out until after the 2022 season. Same thing for CBS and Fox with their Sunday afternoon game packages. And so because ESPN has the first option to go in and negotiate their new deal, they're going to do a couple of things. One, they're going to set the market. Like, you know the rights fees are going up. ESPN is currently paying $1.9 billion a year for the right to carry Monday Night Football. That number is going up, but in exchange for it, ESPN wants to say to them, look, we had some growing pains in getting the booth right, but we've got it right now. We've got Peyton Manning in there with whomever the play-by-play guy is. You know, whether whether they get the, get it done with Al Michaels like we were talking about yesterday or it's still Joe Tessitore, but uh, Tess is able to maybe be more palatable because Peyton Manning's there with him. I mean, look, ESPN took a chance on Jason Witten and Booger McFarlane. It didn't work with those guys. Jason Witten had one year, decided to go back to the NFL. Boogers had two years. He is um, kind of rotten tomatoed uh, all over the place. Good dude. Fine. Just not working as the lead analyst on Monday Night Football. So now they can say, we got Peyton Manning. And yes, we realize we've now got to pay whatever, $2.5 billion a year for Monday Night Football, but you got to help us out. The relationship that ESPN had with the NFL when the previous president was in place, John Skipper, was icy at best. The first thing Jimmy Pitaro did when he came in and took over the role of president of ESPN was he began to work trying to mend the relationship with the NFL. That's part of the reason that you've gotten rid of the whole politics at ESPN thing. Nobody's talking about politics at ESPN because nobody at ESPN is talking politics anymore. And so they've gotten back to sports. They've repaired that relationship. They're going to pay whatever it takes. And it's not just to keep Monday Night Football. It's to enhance that. They want better games, and they want at least an additional playoff game, and they want to get into the rotation for the Super Bowl. Well, the and Peyton Manning helps them is... do that. Go ahead. Oh, sorry, sorry, finish your thought. I thought you were done. My bad. No, no, I was just going to say that Peyton Manning helps them do that, and that's why it makes business sense when you're paying $2.5 billion to go pay a guy $20 million. If that's the difference in getting into the rotation once every four or five years for the Super Bowl, pay it and never even think about what you did again. The better games portion has more to do with them not being able to flex. Like, you can guess preseason, but you just can't get it 100%. Is it harder to flex Monday night football, though, than it is games on a Sunday just in different time slots? Can you flex Monday night football at all? No. I don't think it's... No, they, ha- they, they haven't been able to. I mean, were you saying that you would like to see them be able to do that going forward? 
No, I was just saying they're talking about they want better games. Like the 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 not getting better games is more tied to them not being able to flex than anything else. Because Sunday night football can look at something and go, oh, "We're going to flex that to the night thing in two weeks or whatever." Yeah, I get that, but I mean, even if you look at the slate of games, a lot of them you know going in are going to be bad. Yeah, but it seems like for the most part, on paper, like going into a season, they're pretty decent. They, they've been better the last two years. You remember the first two or three years of that contract, though? Monday Night Football was dog game after dog game after dog game. It was terrible. Thursdays, too. Yeah. Yeah. And that's partially to do with the fact that they're not rested enough and, and they play sloppy football. I know you're only as value, or you are as valuable as somebody's willing to pay you. So I, Peyton Manning's worth $20 million because ESPN says he's worth $20 million, But... From my seat as a sports fan, I know that a good broadcast team is important because bad ones can make you not want to watch a game. But there are a lot of good broadcasting teams out there that don't cost $20 million. And I know you've got Disney money and all that stuff, and you've got basically unlimited funds and you can pay them. But a a color analyst is never worth that kind of money to me because they don't make me want to watch the game. Like, as good as Romo is, I'm not choosing whether or not to watch a game because he's on the call. Now, if it's a bad color analyst, it will make me tune out eventually if the game gets ugly. I just, it blows my mind that they're spending this kind of money on these guys when I don't think they impact viewership at all. But maybe that's just me. to Bill Walton, have you? Do you watch a game because of Bill Walton, or do you turn the channel because of Bill Walton? I, I don't know, Gordon. 110%. We had a house in college that that was like a Thursday night tradition. You invited people over just to watch the Bill Walton game? It was more of just like amongst our house, but yes, occasionally. Like, what did we care about Arizona State, Oregon State? The sun! Oh, look at the sun! It's a lovely day! Conference of Champions! We're talking. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Ceasefire text line. I don't think this guy can be friends with uh, Rippy. I can't stand to hear Bill Walton as a color analyst for a game. He acts like the Pac-12 is the only conference to play basketball. Constantly talks down to the play-by-play guy. He's on there because of his name only. That is Bruce. Buddy, that is not why he's on the broadcast. But just why picture, do you think he's like on the a, uh, picture it like riding a rocket ship. You're strapped in just for two t- hours, and it is one one hell of a ride. It is a wild ride. Uh, I think he and Dave Pash are pretty good friends, and that might be the biggest feather in Dave Pash's cap as a broadcaster. What do you mean that the, he is he able to? His name. <laughs> well, you and Gallo are friends, and he doesn't remember your name. Oh, that's fair. <laughs> you like that? You like that? That was, that was funny. <laughs> um. Yeah, but no, I mean, the Dave Pash is able to play off of that and still somehow call the game and kind of keep the focus on the game is uh, is pretty remarkable. So uh, here's one that says, Romo absolutely make a dif- makes a difference in whether I watch or not. Hey, Borky, let's do an addendum to the poll question. All right. You already yes. got one out there? Um, actually, it never sent because the internet went down for a second. So this will be poll right. question number one. Poll question, are you more likely to watch Monday Night Football if Peyton Manning is the analyst? Yes or no? 
So think See, about your current viewing habits for Monday Night Football. Do you watch? Do you not watch? Are you more likely to watch if Peyton Manning is the analyst, yes or no? This is probably the exception to my rule because the difference between him and the previous analyst um, is pretty palpable, and people will come back to it if they went away because it was that bad. Maybe I'm in the minority. I don't watch games for... I un- again. Will they come back or just bring the volume back? Well, probably that. And see, I'm not very much a, a mute the TV guy. I think most people that say, "Oh, the announcers are so bad, I had to mute it," are lying. I just don't buy that for a second. And I know that a good broadcasting team does help make the game. It, it enhances the game. It absolutely does. But it doesn't change whether or not I watch it because I'm there at the end of the day for the game itself. You know, if the game's compelling, I mean, you could have a parrot just repeating phrases for three hours and I'd still watch the game. Yeah, I get what you're saying on that front. Um, 601-879-4395. That's the number for the C Spire text line. If you want to vote in that Twitter poll, do so at Sports Talk M-I-S-S. That is the Twitter feed. This weekend in college baseball, and especially in the SEC, is really just a tune-up for conference play. Uh, Pretty much everybody in the league... Maybe Alabama notwithstanding, but just about everybody has played a reasonably good schedule and has had at least one challenging weekend so far. This weekend, not really the case. Outside of Vanderbilt going out to uh, out to California and getting set for the three games, they play UCLA tonight, and that's fantastic. Like that's that is good stuff early in the season. Pretty body, uh, pretty much everybody else though is not challenging themselves this weekend. You guys okay with that? I, I think I'm okay with it for two reasons. One, I mean, SEC play starts next week. So, I mean, that's something, you know, I understand maybe wanting to get like that. So it feels like the fourth preseason game, right? Just the final tune-up. But at the same time, this is baseball. And crazier things have happened than some of these teams coming in. And I'm not maybe not taking the series, but getting a game. So, you know, just let it happen. Oh, I completely I agree with that. Sorry, go ahead, Rippy. Oh, no, I was just going to say, it doesn't bother me because I don't know if there's a structure in any sport that's any other sport that's more pointless than a college baseball non-conference season for an SEC club. What do you gain? Wins. But, like, sure, but... I mean, you could schedule soft and have that, too. Like, what is scheduling hard in the non-conference? Like, what do you achieve of that if you're an SEC school? Oh, you're you're making the point there's no reason to schedule hard games in the non-conference? Yeah, I mean, I get that you have to have a non-conference season, the way the sport's set up. But, like, other than figuring out your lineup and stuff, it doesn't add a ton of value. It doesn't really add hardly any. Let Let me throw a crazy concept at you. So, what, we have... 14 weeks in the college baseball season. What if you had opening weekend and then you played every team in the conference? For the next 13 weeks, it was all conference play. That would be something. I mean, I'm not tell, against that. I'll tell you that. Tell, tell me why you hate that idea. I do not hate that idea. I like that I idea. I do not either. I mean... You know, play some play some softies in your midweek. If you're above 500, you're in the tournament. 
period. You, you, you play 13 weeks of conference games and you're, you've got an above 500 record, you're going to be in the NCAA tournament. By the way, currently, uh, Warren Nolan has Ole Miss with the number two RPI and the number nine strength of schedule in the entire country. Highest ranked SEC team. Florida is at four. Georgia is at six. Uh, LSU is at 15, despite being eight and five. So they've got the number three strength of schedule in the country, and that's why they're 15th, uh, because they do have five losses on the year so far. Alabama's at 22. So their RPI is 22, but their strength of schedule is 153. Got a long way to go on that front. And that will get better once they get into uh, once they get into SEC play. Tennessee is at 41. Again, strength of schedule not very good. It's 218. Uh, Missouri is at 53. Here's Mississippi State on this deal. Have you looked at their RPI, hey, Dad? Yeah, Texas A&M at 73. Kentucky at 79. Keep going. It's got to be down there somewhere. That Texas. I mean, it, that Texas Vanderbilt. Loss. How, how about Vanderbilt at 109? That loss to Hawaii is probably states at 118. I was almost there. I was one more scroll on my uh, mouse. So Vanderbilt at 109, despite being 11 and three. Yeah, Warren Nolan. Uh, Vanderbilt 202nd in strength of schedule. There's Mississippi State at 118. 118 in the RPI. Duke's at 110. uh, They're 10 and two on the year. I mean, there's yeah, this just it's still early. This is all still working itself out. But that said, that Texas Southern loss. Texas Southern is currently 150. They're going nowhere but down once they start playing SWAC teams. Uh, that's gonna that's gonna hurt. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, and again, Ole Miss being four or being two in the RPI right now doesn't mean that's where they're gonna finish. But they have positioned themselves quite well, um, given that they've gone eleven and one through their first twelve games and a strength of schedule that's really not gonna go anywhere. I mean, so they're sitting at number nine in strength of schedule right now before they roll into SEC play, and remember who they miss. They don't play Missouri, they don't play Kentucky, and they don't play Tennessee. Everybody else, they do play in uh, in league play. So uh, Ole Miss in a pretty good spot. If they keep winning games, I, I mean, that's all that's going to matter. It'll all take care of itself. Uh, certainly just a, a really long way to go. Uh, Princeton, the opponent this week. Rippy Princeton has played four games this year. Only four. 0-4 against Penn State. In Cary, North Carolina. So they played a tournament either last weekend or two weekends ago, and that's it so far. But it was all against the same team. So is that a tournament, or did they just have to go south to play somewhere? That may have been what it was. Cary, North Carolina, isn't that where like the USA Baseball headquarters is now? It's no Boone, I know that. Come on. All right, so the slate of games involving SEC teams this weekend. South Alabama is at Arkansas. You boys curious about a score on this one? What is wrong with Arkansas? I'm very top of interested the f- to see how that – Oh, there's, they started? Go, go. What is it? Top of the fifth inning, South Alabama eight, Arkansas three. Something is wrong. Yeah, they don't have Isaiah Campbell. And Casey Martin's not that, hitting. Jeez, Louise, man, that series next weekend in Starkville is going to be huge. the The loser of that series is going to be in a very, very bad place. I feel. 
Patrick Wicklander started game one this weekend for Arkansas, not Connor Noland. Three and two-thirds, four hits, seven earned runs, and they've already Ooh. gone to the bullpen. Three and two-thirds, four hits, seven earned runs, five walks. He's given up two home runs. Whew. Tough start for uh, Wicklander and Arkansas. Uh, Bradford and uh, Kentucky has been canceled. South Carolina is leading Cornell in the fifth. Tennessee trailing Wright State 3-1. Tennessee, one of the three remaining undefeated teams in the SEC. Scoreless between Mississippi State and Quinnipiac in the second inning. UMass is at Georgia. UMass Lowell actually is at Georgia. USF is at Florida. Lipscomb at Alabama. Chicago State at Auburn. Princeton at Ole Miss. You got Vanderbilt out on the uh, West Coast. Western Illinois and Missouri are meeting up. And who's LSU got? Oh, it's L- uh, it's LSU that's got UMass Mo- Lowell. Georgia has UMass. Time will tell. Watching the sun Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Scoreboard update, top of the fifth inning. South Alabama now leading 10-3 over the Arkansas Razorbacks. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, the longest-running consistently or semi-consistent regular guest on this radio program is this guy right here, Eric Sorensen from d1baseball.com. You can find him on Twitter at Stitch underscore head. What's going on with the Arkansas Razorbacks, E? Man, I don't know. You know, I saw them last week uh, on that Sunday against uh, Baylor, I guess it was. A friend of mine, big Hogs fan, said this just this team just is a mystery right now. They, they You know, Casey Martin's not starting because he's been so bad, and the pitching hasn't been terrible. But these guys just they have one of the best hitting lineups in the country, I thought, going into the season. And they're not quite hitting up to up to snuff so far so far. So it's really weird. It's one of those mystery cases where they should be better and they will play better eventually. But right now, it's just they're just not coming through. It's uh it's it's kind of a mystery as to what's going on with the Razorbacks. They should be dominating a lot better than they are right now. All right, so you were in Houston last weekend, is that right? Uh, Minneapolis for the first two days, and then Houston just for Sunday. I I, uh, I used the com- I stole the company jet so I can come down there to see the Sunday games. There you go, quite the uh, quite the globe trotter. I-, I asked this question to Teddy Cahill from Baseball America yesterday. I'll ask it to you as well. Let's pull out the one to ten scale and uh, and put the worry meter on it. Who should be? Uh, well, I'll ask you about two different fan bases in terms of fan okay. base level of worry. Arkansas fans on a scale of one to ten. I'd put it at about uh, uh, one being good and one being nothing to worry about and ten being bad, right? Right. That's right. Okay. I'd, I'd put it at about – just put it at about seven right now. I don't think it's going to be that bad. It, it's probably – I'm probably even a little overreacting. I think this is just one of those slumps that teams go into and they kind of get in a funk a little bit and then they come out of it eventually because, you know, Arkansas, they've been to the College World Series – uh, the last two years, in fact. So, you know, they've, they've got experience at playing at the highest level, and they're, they're used, to, uh, used to winning. I don't think they're going to be a lot to worry about right now. Uh, I mean, as, as the season goes, right now it's a little concerning, but I think it'll eventually work its way out. 
I guess there's probably some letter uh, level of war, or uh, excuse me, of rivalry between you baseball scribes. But uh, for what it's worth, Teddy Cahill also had Arkansas fans at seven on the worry meter. So you guys are thinking <laughs> along the same lines. Yep, yep, and that's true. And it's uh, and it looked bad. I mean, obviously, last week was a big wake up call with uh, losing all three games in in Houston. Uh, uh, but you got to keep in mind, a couple years ago. It's a little tough to to use that as a as a scale because a couple of years ago Arkansas went to Houston, won all three games there, kind of a similar setup against a bunch of Big Twelve teams and whatnot, and then they didn't even make the SEC tournament later on in the season. So it's not always the most the biggest barometer of how your team's going to do. But again, a little bit of concern on their on their part. What about LSU sitting at eight and five? They've got an RPI that's outside the top one hundred, which doesn't really matter at this point, but. Nevertheless, that's a bunch of losses through just 13 games. Yeah, the biggest one that stunned me the most was losing to Eastern Kentucky on a Friday night. That was the biggest, the biggest mystery to me how that could even happen. You know, if you, (laughs) Rich, I think if you and I compared their recruiting classes between Eastern Kentucky and LSU, (laughs) there would be a vast difference. So it's bizarre how those things happen. I don't get it. Um, and then, of course, I mean, we, I saw him get no hit on Sunday against Oklahoma. Dane Acker for Oklahoma is a, gr- a really solid pitcher. I don't think that's a huge thing to worry about. The other thing with LSU, I mean, they're only hitting. I was just looking at the stats. They're hitting two thirty-five, worst in the SEC. But you know that will eventually come around because their pitching has been great. They pitch really good against Oklahoma. Obviously, AJ Labas had a great game going for him and lost a no hitter in the eighth himself. So that's not a huge concern. Kind of like with Arkansas, you know they're going to eventually turn around. They're going to get some steam somewhere in here. But God, how do you lose to Eastern Kentucky on a Friday night? Good night, nurse. Really bizarre. How how are you not a little bit worried about LSU offensively when they're hitting two thirty five? <laughs> I know, I know, and, and it's kind of true. You you do have a point because they lost so many of those studs from last year uh, off of that team last year. But I just their core is still good. I mean they sort of. Okay, below, so they still have, uh, 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 oh, God, what's Junior's guy's name? I'm forgetting it. I'm blowing I'm, so I'm forgetting the name right now. But uh, Daniel Cabrera, sorry. They've got Daniel Cabrera. He's, he's a veteran guy that's been around. And it's just one of those things that hitting is contagious, as we say. They've got the talent to be a really good offensive team, and I think it will come around eventually. They just kind of run into some buzzsaws lately. They're going to a little bit of a slow start, but I do think they'll eventually come around, Rich. Tough news for Mississippi State. Losing JT again for the year. Had elbow surgery earlier in the week and uh, will not be in the rotation. How does that change how you look at Mississippi State? They're also without Tanner Allen for the foreseeable future with a broken hand. Oh, that's tough. That's that's a tough break. JT Ginn was going to, you know, obviously they were <laughs> No pun intended. Yeah, no pun intended. I mean, that, that was – he's their guy, you know, and that's a little bit of a blow. Um I, I think you couple that with losing two of three to Long Beach, and maybe you start coming up with you start questioning yourself a little bit. But don't be too down on them. I think Long Beach is a really good team, and and kind of got a magic touch this year compared to last year. But yeah, that's going to be a tough draw because you know when you get into conference play, that's where you're really going to start to notice it too. Um, and he gives you, you know, JT again give you a chance on every Friday to win a game, no doubt about it. And now they don't have that comfort that comfort level. But again, we're talking about a team that has recruited extremely well. So in essence, we should see, we should see, we should be okay with Mississippi state. Just a tough blow to overcome. I mean, it's just one of those things that happens. 
Eric, you focus on the entire country. I know we talk tons of SEC here, um, but, yeah. but given that you kind of bounce all over the place, what's the best team in college baseball right now that nobody's talking about, or at least that nobody has really taken notice of yet? Yeah, that's a good question because as you were asking that, I was thinking to myself, well, it's got to be North Carolina State. I think I was really surprised at how strong they were last week seeing them. I saw them for two games up in Minnesota in that Big Ten ACC Challenge. Uh, strong lineup. Elliot Avent is is really high on just about his, everybody going to one through nine, but they got a guy, Austin Murr, at the top of the order that's, that was just – He's a Minnesota native, actually, and he went back to Minnesota and was just murder, murdering the ball. And uh, Nate Sweeney, their, their, their number two starter last week, threw a one-hitter. So I, this is a team that I think is really a little under the radar, even though they are ranked. I think they're a little under the radar as far as people considering them as a national title contending team. And I think you'll find out as things go on. I think they're a legit team on the opposite end of the spectrum. I think North Carolina – is scuffling a bit. They they're struggling more than I thought they would, and I saw them lose two games last week up there in Minnesota too. So that's kind of the extremes in the Tar Heel State. But I I, I really like NC State. I like where they're way they're looking right now. My guess is if you had not been in Minneapolis and Houston last week, you probably would have made your way up to uh, to Blair Field, caught at least oh, yeah. one with Mississippi State and Long Beach State. So. Uh, are you surprised by the results, Long Beach winning two out of three and, and being really as dominant as they were on the mound in games one and three? Yeah, I tell you, Rich. If you Well, put it this way. If you would have told me before the season started, hey, Long Beach State's going to take two out of three from Mississippi State, you know, I would have sent, sent for the, white, the men in the white jackets to take you away. That was not on my radar at all. I did see Long Beach against Wake Forest. Wake Forest probably has one of the best hitting lineups in the country. And Long Beach State just shut them down three straight games and, and swept them. After that, I realized, okay, if Long Beach can do this to Wake Forest, who, again, one through nine, probably one of the best hitting teams in the country, if they can do that to Wake Forest, it, they're going to be able to beat anybody. So once they, once they played Mississippi State, I was thinking it wouldn't be a total shock to see them win the series, but I still was a little surprised that, that, that as you said, they, the shutdown, the way they shut them down, uh, Adam Seminaris on Friday night, just incredible, uh, eight nothing win. I mean, that, that really was a bit, was a, was a banner win, uh, weekend for Long Beach State, but I wasn't completely shocked. Uh, I would say I was a little surprised though. Are you going to make it out to uh, see this uh, matchup tonight with Vanderbilt and, uh, and UCLA? I'm not. I've unfortunately I'm taking care of three dogs at home today this weekend. Some friends dropped their dogs off, so I won't be able to see both games because I'm out at Pepperdine right now to see Michigan play out here. But I will catch up with Vanderbilt on uh, Saturday and Sunday while they're out here. I, can't, I look forward to seeing them play. So they'll play UCLA tonight, USC tomorrow, and then TCU on uh, on, Sunday. on Sunday. Tough spot to be, right? Yeah. Sitting in Malibu watching uh, watching baseball. <laughs> It's beautiful here today, too, Rich. It's, it's, a, it's never bad weather out here, I'll have to admit. Great place. It's my favorite place to watch a game. Although, Rich, I am, gonna make, I am vowing to make it to uh, Duty Noble Field this year, the new Duty Noble Field this year. So I really look forward to see it taking in a game there. But other than that, I do like, I do like coming out to Malibu to see good baseball. Hey, have you decided which series you're coming in or which game you're coming in for yet? Uh, no, not yet. Haven't decided yet, but it, it will be a little bit later in the year um, when the weather gets a little bit warmer and uh, probably too warm for my liking, but I, I am going to make it out there at some point. I'll, I'll give you a heads up, though. I'll send you a flare. Well, we certainly look forward to uh, seeing you and visiting with you after you make the trip. Thanks, Eric. 
You got it. Thanks for sharing the airways, Rich. Eric Sorensen, D1 Baseball, D1Baseball.com. You can read his work. You can follow him on Twitter at Stitch underscore Head. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll take a quick timeout and wrap up the 4 o'clock hour after this. Hey, Dad. I feel like if you were a billionaire several times over and you owned an NBA team, you would be Mark Cuban. Given your disdain for officiating, I think you would just kind of pop off the way Cuban does. Yes? No? Probably would. I don't know if uh, he would step on the court or anything, though. Talking about Hayden? Yeah, like Cuban did. So, did you see the most recent? The NBA said, um, Mark Cuban, we're going to hit you in the wallet. $500,000 fine for public criticism and detrimental conduct regarding NBA officiating. The NBA also denied the Mavs protest of their loss to the Atlanta Hawks on February 22nd, after which Cuban confronted the referees on the court and criticized them on Twitter and while speaking to reporters. The statement from the NBA that Cuban's comments were, quote, highly critical, personal, and demeaning to the league and its officiating staff, and that he continued to publicly criticize the officiating over the following days. Here was their statement. It is a recognized part of sports for fans and the media at times to criticize officiating, but team executives must be held to a higher standard. A team owner's effort to influence refereeing decisions during and after a game creates the perception of an unfair competitive advantage and thereby undermines the integrity of the game. Demeaning league employees also creates an intimidating workplace environment, etc., etc., etc. Mark Cuban has accumulated more than $3 million in fines from the NBA in his time as an owner. That's pocket change for him. I I have Uh, two comments. I have two comments. One, first off, if I was an NBA owner, I would own the Lakers and we'd get all the calls. So it's not not a big problem for me. As Borky will tell you, it's, 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 it's easy money when you're the Lakers owner. But two, why don't we hold the officials to a higher standard? Why don't we try going that route instead? That would be too much to ask, though, I guess. I like Cuban doing this. I mean, I like it. Not maybe not this, but I would think sports would be more fun if all the owners were visible like this. I agree. But why is it that uh, Mark Cuban is kind of celebrated for it, but Jerry Jones is made fun of for it? I don't think. I mean, well, I think Cuban does a good job of managing. Cuban does a good job of managing his team. On top of that, he's not. You know, he's out there in front like this. But when it comes to getting talented players and and just being a smart. You know, it, G, having it be in the GM role, he's done a fine job of that, whereas Jerry Jones has not. Uh, let's see here. Here, This was the quote that really got him into hot water. Refs have bad games. Crews have bad games. But this isn't a single-game issue. This is the same bleep that has been going on for 20 years. Hire former refs who think they know how to hire, train, and manage. Realize two years later, they can't. Repeat. 
Adam Silver didn't like that. Uh, did Trish not sometimes. like that at all. So that's yeah, about three hundred dollars, maybe actually less than that for the average person with a household income of sixty grand. What's his net worth? Four point three billion. I did that completely in my head. So if my math is off, sorry, but I mean that—that is—that's a couple hundred bucks to us. Five hundred k to him. Yeah, but you can buy a lot more with five hundred k than you can with a couple of hundred. Regardless of scale, it's still a lot of money. Keith and JS, I think this is a great question because if I owned the team, I'd be the same way. Shouldn't the team executive be the biggest fan? My answer is yes. See, even though I love Gail Benson, she's great as far as handling the the Pelicans team and front office decisions and all that stuff. Been very good. But they I would love to. Be. No, uh, her late husband. I don't mean to disparage the, the deceased, but he was awful at running the team compared to her. Um, but I would love to have an owner like him or the guy with the Clippers that's on the front row just like wearing a T-shirt and going crazy and sweating a little. That's the kind of owner I would be anyway. Yeah. I wouldn't do so press, conference a- a- press conferences after the game. Uh, yeah, I'd probably just go to the local bar. But I would sit front row and I'd be losing my mind. It's my team. I can do what I want. Why would I want to sit up in some stuffy press box and like yuck it up with millionaires? No, get me courtside. That that is one thing for sure. I always see owners of wearing suits and I'm like, never, never. I don't wear suits now. Why would? Why am I going to be a billionaire and I can have you know whatever money I want and I'm going to wear a suit? Never. Text says from the minute Cuban took over, the Mavs stopped being a laughing stock. Jarrah. True story. Jarrah Jarrah Jones worked in reverse. Uh, Keith and JS, shouldn't the team executive be the biggest fan? Yeah, I'm I'm with you. That's what Borky was pointing to. Um, You know Cuban sits at least one time a year in every section in the arena? Does he? To to feel the experience. I thought his spot was like baseline. He might just go up there for a little while, you know? (laughs) Spend the entire game in the upper deck. College football fix is next. Five o'clock hour with you. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day on Supertalk Mississippi and streaming online. And if you miss it, you can always go back and catch it uh, online, on demand, at supertalk.fm. Or you can um, download the podcast. Always available for you wherever you get your podcast. In addition to the Sports Talk Mississippi podcast, you can get the Thunder and Lightning podcast with Brian Haydad and Joel T. Coleman. You can get the Rebel Report with Brian Scott Rippey and Michael Borky, and you can download the Eagle Hour podcast also. So, time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buy Ford now. B-U-Y, FordNow.com. Find out about all they've got, including the best-selling trucks in America, the F-150, 43 straight years at number one. they got to have a new trophy case. I mean, you have 43 straight years being the uh, number one team. No fatigue there, though. 
No F-150 fatigue. People just keep on loving them. So, Borky, we talked about the athletic list yesterday of top 25 coaches. And you stuck it back in here today and said, we didn't even get to the reason why you had it in there. Yeah, and it was also, they did two. So the athletic did two of them, two of their college football writers. Uh, Haydad gave me some junk yesterday for not using the one that had Mike Leach ranked higher. So um, we'll do that one today. But I think outside of, of that, this one is so much worse than yesterday's. It's not even funny. Like my four-month-old son could have scribbled and he doesn't know how to write yet and made a list better than this one. All right. Bruce Feldman, top 25 coaches in college football. Nick Saban won. That was Swinney, too. It's not what makes this list bad, but he's wrong. Anyway. James Franklin, three. You already lost me. Ed Ogeron, four. Lincoln Riley, five. Six is Jimbo. Seven is Kirby. Eight, Brian Kelly. Kyle Whittingham at nine. It's an appropriate ranking, it feels like. I agree with that. Scott Satterfield at 10. I also like that one. Mm -hmm. I'm big on Scott Satterfield. You should be. I I just, and I think what he did at Louisville this past season was really impressive. What he did at Appalachian State was really impressive. And my fascination is going to be whether or not Louisville can hang on to him. The thing that it's Louisville, an ACC Washington, job. Well, it's good, good facilities. Favor to me is his offense is a little quirky. So is that something that a you know Texas, Ohio State kind of situation wants to run? You know they're not much for the quirks usually. Yeah. So after Scott Satterfield, Gary Patterson at eleven, Mike Leach at twelve. Finally, do for respect. you. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, well, why, I mean, why, why, does, why, why, why is Mike 20th? Leach? Yeah, why? Why is he the number twelve in terms of best college football coaches in the country? For me, you could put Leach anywhere from ten to twenty, and I and I'm not going to argue too much. And honestly, if you've been you know twenty first or if you've been ninth, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't argue too much. I mean, the guy's clearly probably the best offensive mind in college football. Um, he's taken two programs that have been historically not good and turned them into consistent winners and now we're going to see what he does here at Mississippi State Borky do you think that he is uh, in the right spot at number 12 it might be I mean it might be a little high I don't know how much um, like for example do you take into account that he never beat Washington those kind of things but um, it cannot be overstated how difficult of a job especially Washington State is I mean, it was a really good fit because he could kind of be quirky and, and it wasn't too serious up there, so he could very much be himself and have the, the goofy press conferences, and it worked. But I don't know if you've ever been to Pullman, Washington. I, I have a family member who went to school there, and the way they describe it is pretty bleak. Uh, just a tough place to play. You're, you're very much number two in that state, in a state that doesn't produce any talent, Um and then Texas Tech, a very similar thing. I have been to the panhandle of Texas, and I think that might be the worst region of the entire United States of America. And, <laughs> and he won football games there. Wait, Lubbock's not in the panhandle, is it? The northern panhandle, yeah. Okay. 
I don't know if that's what they really call it. I, I would like to forget the few days I spent in that part of the country. I mean, just absolutely brutal. Everything is just brown and terrible, and the wind blows a lot. Yeah, it is It is very West Texas. Um, Kirk Ferentz at 13, Dan Mullen at 14, P.J. Fleck at 15. Oh, well, yeah, you think that's we, too low? Can we stop right there, though? In what world is Kirk Ferentz a better football coach than Dan Mullen? In what world? It, the the disrespect of Dan Mullen, I know people around here don't like him and I understand why, but the disrespect on this list of Dan Mullen is mind-blowing to me. Ah, well, you know, Kurt Ferentz is a good coach. Been in Iowa a long time. I mean, you have James Franklin at third. Who would you rather have coaching your football program? I mean, Dan Mullen's kind of a, you know, he's he's hard to like, but at least he hasn't relatively speaking, left his programs in scandal when he was gone. I mean, he's winning football games at a similar level to James Franklin, had a difficult job at Mississippi State, won consistently, elevated the program, and now he's doing a very similar thing at Florida. I just, how there are 13 football coaches in the country you'd rather have before Dan Mullen blows my mind, especially when you throw 7-5 and five Kirk Ferentz in there. Just a comparison, Ferrets one seventy four and one twenty five in his career. Mullen ninety and fifty one. Mullen seven and two and bowls. Ferrets nine and eight. So it's just a longevity thing there. Yeah, for the record, James Franklin is a scumbag, but I think he's a pretty good football coach. Oh, he's a great football coach. I think Dan Mullen's a great football coach too. Ah, thank you. And I would rather have him, uh, Gary Patterson. I like. I'd rather have him over Gary Patterson. Hey, hold on. Hey, did Hey Dad just give me the breathe heavy laugh over calling James Franklin a scumbag? Yes, a little bit. <laughs> Is that what that was? Not that I disagree with you. It's just when you're so honest, it's fun. Well, it was like uh, you you couldn't quite get the actual chuckle out, but it was like a. <laughs> well, I didn't sound like that. My Which God, I'm panting over here. <laughs> Uh, Matt Campbell at 16. See, and you lose me again there, too. Matt Campbell, I, I know, is a good football coach, but you have behind Matt Campbell David Shaw, who Stanford's a good place, but it's a much more difficult job. Or well, They're on the same level, but he's winning and winning well. Last year was kind of decimated. You have him ahead of Paul Christ. You have him ahead of Mike Gundy. You have him ahead of even Mario Cristobal and Mike Norvell. I don't get that either. And ahead of Kendi Amatololo. Which might be, considering the difficulty of the job and what he's done there, I mean, it's hard to fathom the kind of players he has to get at that school. And they don't just compete. Like, they win. And win hey, how repeatedly. About Borky, that, how about yesterday um, on the, the list from the who, – who, whose list was yesterday? Uh, Stuart Mandel. Stuart Mandel's list yesterday had Jeff Monk and the head coach at Army in the top ten. He's not in the no, top twenty-five no. on. He was seventeen list, list today. Okay, sorry, seventeen. He was top twenty. So, gonna you know step outside my comfort zone here a little bit, but I have a question. Are we surprised Lane Kiffin's not on either one of these lists? No. No. Okay. He's got to. He's got to prove it, man. I know Florida I mean, I what, did a really good job at FAU, but. I don't think you get as much credit winning in a place like that. It, whether it's right or wrong, it doesn't matter. Okay. I'm just saying, if he, if he was on this list, I'm not going to raise a stink about it. 
But And then where's the Mike Gundy disrespect, air quotes, coming from? If you were starting a program today, would you get to 20 coaches before Mike Gundy? That's another. That's another good, good, good question. Mario Cristobal is low. I agree with Chip that. Chip Kelly existing is low. Yeah, I know what he did at Oregon Wait, a decade ago. Why is Chip ago. Kelly on this list? It, see, these people are professional writers about football. This list is all kinds of jacked up. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. Kelly seems an outdated pick. Brian Kelly or Chip Kelly? Chip Kelly. I'm not going to uncork the wine Brian Kelly bottle today. <laughs> but, I mean, explain to me why Dan Mullen's 14. I don't get that. I don't get Chip Kelly's appearance. Where, okay, uh, okay. the guys that you disagree with, Dan Ke- uh, Mullen, where should he be on the list? In we the don't have enough time somewhere. to explain that. We'll do it when we come back. You don't have enough time to give me a number? I got to think about it and really go through it, talk through it, you know? Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. We'll be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Friday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Ceasefire text line open 601 879 4395. 601 879 Let's see. Y'all got me working okay, hard today, by the way, man. Just want to let y'all know that. I'm, I'm, watch, I'm doing this show and watching two games right this second. Nobody's working harder than me right now. I've got MSU Quinnipiac and MSU LSU women's basketball. I thought that was tonight. Which ones? They're both, they're both <laughs> happening right now. Yes, I, I thought the women's basketball game was later in the day. No, it's the 5 o'clock game. Uh, the... They Kentucky, list Tennessee Eastern times on the SEC web. Like it, they don't have it to where it geotags adjusted for you. So if I put it on the notes at six thirty, that's my bad because that's what the their website yeah, says. It was a five tip and a uh, four four o'clock first pitch over at Diddy Noble. All right. Well, what's happening in, happening in Greenville, South Carolina? LSU leads at the, MSU. At the Bon Secours Wellness Center. Secours. Yes. The S is silent. Thanks. You're welcome. Uh, LSU leads MSU 13-10 to 10, uh, with about 30 seconds to go in the first quarter. That's early. Yes, right. very early. And in Duty Noble, MSU leads Quinnipiac 2-0 in the bottom of the fourth on a two-run home run by Josh Hatcher. Uh, Christian McLeod has been very, very solid, as you might expect. Four innings pitch, he's got seven strikeouts, two hits, uh, one walk, no runs. Rest of your baseball scoreboard right now, South Alabama up 12-4 on the Arkansas Razorbacks, bottom of the seventh inning. Is Arkansas still mad about Ole Miss's baseball celebration? That was the most... We didn't get to talk about it much on this show. Arkansas fan Twitter getting mad at the Ole Miss shortstop second baseman postgame celebration thing is one of the more bizarre online phenomenons I've ever seen. Have you seen any of that, hey, Dad? I, I saw a, a, the Ole Miss response to it, the uh, the video they did about sports being fun, and but beyond that, I, I didn't really know that that had become an issue. <laughs> How it, about that burn from the Ole Miss media or the sports production? They put they said we're just having fun with all the celebrations on them. Yeah, that was excellent, man. But that all that got all the way up to one hundred three point seven. The buzz, like one of their hosts, is like. 
tweeted some long thing about how he can't wait to go to Oxford to watch Arkansas whip up on Ole Miss because they celebrate like that. Like he got all the way to a media member. I got some bad news, boss. (laughs) You might not be looking forward to that as much as you think you are. Upon further review, when you get dunked on, uh, look, getting mad about celebrations in college baseball is very much yelling at the cloud. Look, I, I just, if you said, hey, Richard, would you prefer that when a guy gets a double, he just stands up in second base and waits on his time to run to third? Or would you prefer him slide in, pop up, and shoot an imaginary bow and arrow or take a Steph Curry-style jump shot from three or whatever? I would prefer to just stand up and play. But everybody in college baseball does that. It's like the Brian Kane effect. Like the whole celebrate with your teammates thing. And so nobody should take offense to it because everybody does it. It's just a thing in college baseball. Not but very what, classy what, what, the way I see it. What What's the Mississippi State? They hit a double. How do they celebrate on second base? Oh, man, everybody has it, their own. Mangums was the bow and arrow, but everybody has their own little thing. Okay. But it does happen. Let make it very clear. I need somebody to go Usain Bolt. Like, they slide into second, they pop up, and then they just slide into, like, the Adonis pose, like, pointing at the sky. <laughs> Does anybody do that? I just, I've not seen, but, but, but you might inspire somebody. I just couldn't imagine taking 19-year-old kids playing a game so seriously that when they enjoy doing it, it bothers you emotionally. Like, if you win, have a tea party out there. I'll bring the crumpets. I don't care. <laughs> Would you like milk in your tea, sir? <laughs> I like a spot of tea with my triple, please. South Carolina leading ten to two over Cornell. Wright State's up on Tennessee four to two in the seventh. No score between UMass and Georgia. Everything else gets started uh, a little bit later this evening. All right, Borky, you wanted to circle back to the list. You said I did not give you enough time to explain why somebody should be ranked somewhere. Dan Mullen was that who I was talking about? Yes. Yeah, so, so they have. Dan Mullen Mullen be ranked in the top 25 in terms of coaches in college football? So let's walk through this. Dan Mullen over Nick Saban? No. No. Dan Mullen over Dabo Sweeney? No. No. Dan Mullen over James Franklin? Yes. I think that's my answer, too. But I'm not saying he's third, either. No. Franklin's overrated. No. But it's at least a conversation. I would go Mullen, but that's just me. Mullen over Orgeron? Right now? No. Ordron won a national championship last nah, year. No, you're, you're, you're right. You're right. Mullen over Lincoln well, Riley. Hold on a second. Are we talking about the best coach or like the best leader of a program? What's best the coach? difference? It's kind of the same thing. I don't think so. Well, you know, that is a good point because I'd say, I'd say Ed Ogeron is, is a better leader of a program. Yeah, Mullen's a better coach than Ed Ogeron. Yeah. I'm sorry. He just is. You're right. You're but right. that kind of becomes a subjective thing that's very hard to actually define. Okay. That's true. But for this exercise, I mean, we can say no. Lincoln Riley. Dan Mullen or Lincoln Riley. You're probably going Riley. Going Lincoln Riley for sure. Mullen over Jimbo Fisher. Right now, if you had to hire a coach, which one would you want? Mullen. Same here. Yeah, I think so. Kirby Smart. I think so. 
Kirby is better than Mullen. I think that battle is about to be really fun. I, I do not. For now. I, I don't I don't see that. Mullen's weakness is that he can't he can't beat teams that are just more talented than him. And Smart is out recruiting him so far every year. If I am at a program that is immune or largely immune to the NCAA's vendettas, then I want Kirby Smart. If I am at a place that is not immune and it has to be done in a development-type way, I want Dan Mullen. And if he keeps recruiting classes like the one he just signed, that's very fair uh, because he's a better developer of talent and obviously a better in-game coach. That's Kirby Smart's Achilles heel. I mean, he can get all the talent in the world, but for some reason his teams vomit on themselves in these these big games that they play in. And But I will say this. You said you know if he keeps getting classes like he got. He had a good class. There's two problems with that. One, he had a good class last year, and like the, the top eight all didn't make it to campus for various yeah. reasons. And that's a Mullen. You know, that, that has happened in the past with Mullen. But two, Georgia had a better class than him. Georgia is stacking up more talent than Mullen is. That's a true statement. Brian Kelly or Dan Mullen? Oh, it's not even close with Mullen. See, same here. Kyle Whittingham or Dan Mullen? Ooh. Whittingham's been great. SEC's Does different ben- animal, Mullen. See, Does bench in- press matter? <laughs> <laughs> See, and so now we get into Gary Patterson. I think we all have the same answer. Kirk Ferentz, I think we have all have the same answer. What about Mike Leach? <sighs> That's a that's a tough one. They're Mike, so about, different. They oh, are so different. different. <laughs> but there's some similarities too in that they both do more with less. You know, I wonder what Mike Leach would be at if he was at Florida. Would be like if he was at Florida and he had that kind of talent to pull from. I don't know. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I, I am going to for today, for you know the, the the foreseeable future, give Dan Mullen the edge, and here's why. Dan Mullen has shown the ability to take different types of players and make adjustments to his offense for it to be successful based on their skill set. He has not tried to go round peg, square hole, square peg, round hole. Mike Leach has had a ton of success by saying the hole is round. I don't care how you get in the hole, but you're going in that round hole and it will not lose its round edges, or it has no edges. It's going to stay round. That's what Mike Leach has done. He said, this is the offense. Either figure out how to play in it or go lock yourself in a water closet. Storage closet. With your fat little girlfriends. With your fat little girlfriends (laughs) because you're not going to play for me. So I, I think I think there's something to both ways, but to me, a coach who has the ability to effectively adapt what he wants to do to the personnel he's got, there's there's something that I think is kind of special about that. That's the what I, I thought our conversation with Lane Kiffin a couple of weeks ago overall was pretty boring. That's the one thing that stood out to me. I said, like, describe your offense. You know, everybody's got a name for what they do. He said can't really do that because we decide what our players are best at and then tailor the offense around them. Sports Talk Mississippi. you got to decide which way works for you, though. 
How about the slate of hoops tomorrow, final day of the regular season in college basketball. Auburn is at Tennessee. That could be a fun game, I think. Tell me which one's most intriguing to you. Auburn at Tennessee, South Carolina at Vanderbilt. That's the right answer. Kentucky at Florida. Yes, I am in Nashville once again. Uh, Georgia at LSU. Alabama at Missouri. Arkansas at Texas A&M. Ole Miss at Mississippi State. Georgia at LSU because the anticipation of a bunch of dudes in suits walking in and taking people out in cuffs is just exciting to me. It's something they do it during a game. One day it's going to happen. I think it will, don't you? I mean, eventually, it no, seems like they're, they're... going to cuff Will Wade during oh, a game. Oh, no. no, I don't. I, no. I don't think so. I was, I was being uh, hyperbolic there, but um, based on, I guess, inferences from people that are air quotes in the know of things like that, it kind of sounds like the days are numbered because I keep saying it's unbelievable how he's still the coach, and maybe that's all been for naught because that day's coming. It's just taking them a little while. Wheels of justice move slow in Indianapolis. Yeah, something like that. Not for Memphis, though. Kentucky, Florida is my answer to your question, though. That because that game, you know, if a Florida, it, it could affect about three or four teams worth of seating. Does Florida win that game at home tomorrow. Maybe I, I, I would take no. Kentucky, Kentucky right now. But what's what's the line? Yeah. Do we know? Usually those don't come out until day of, or at least late of, yeah, tonight. Yeah. Um, I'll be fascinated to see if Auburn bounces back from their loss earlier in the week to Texas A&M. Tennessee's, you know, we talked a lot. We were talking about Coach of the Year the uh, earlier in the week, and, you know, Cal versus Buzz Peterson. Not Buzz Peterson, former Tennessee coach. Buzz Williams at Texas A&M. Rick Barnes has quietly done a really good job at Tennessee this year. That team lost Kyle Alexander, Grant Williams, and Admiral Schofield. That's three monster pieces. And then he lost his starting point guard at the end of December when he goes, I'm out, and nobody knew it was coming. Nobody on the on the Tennessee staff knew that uh, Lynn, uh, not Lynn, um, Bowden, whatever his first name was, was going to check out on this team. Jordan, right? Jordan, Yeah, Jordan Bowden. Bowden. Lynn Bowden at Kentucky, Jordan Bowden at Tennessee, I think. Quanzo Martin at Missouri. Yeah, right. I think Rick Barnes is a really good coach. And the fact that he was able to pick up Santiago Vescovi mid-year, that was a nice, uh, you know, Nice move into the free agent market to uh, to get a guy that can really play. Um, it's just it's only going to be four, right? It's only going to be four SEC teams in the NCAA tournament. Unless uh, somebody other than one of those four teams wins the SEC the uh, SEC tournament. Are you, you surprised the only... by the regression? Yes. Yes and no. I thought the league was going to be a little bit better than this. I think the early non-conference results told us a lot. But maybe we shouldn't be surprised 
when you look at the fact that what was it? Was it seventeen of the top twenty scores in the SEC from last year were gone? I mean, that's big, big, big. And, and I, I think because of all of the coaching upgrades that we've seen over the last few years and because of the success that we've seen from the SEC in getting teams into the tournament and then once they get there, lasting for a while, probably shaped our opinion on this a little bit. But, you know, not necessarily from like a regional media standpoint, but from where we sit, we all thought Mississippi State was an NCAA tournament team this year. So that would be a fifth. And then, you know, beyond that, I, th- I think most of us thought Georgia was going to be better than they've been. They're 15 and 15 and 5 and 12 in the league with five ESPN top 100 players and maybe the number one pick in the draft. I thought Missouri was going to be a little bit better than they've been this year. You remember Arkansas got off to the red hot start in league play and then just completely got derailed with the Isaiah Joe injury. If Isaiah Joe doesn't miss those four or five games, I don't think Arkansas is sitting there at seven and ten. I think they're probably ten and seven right now, and they're in the field. So I'm not sure it's that far, you know, that we're really that far off from having either six or seven teams in the the tournament. But ultimately, you're measured by you know, did you win or not, and you're only going to have four in, unless, as Haydad said a second ago, there's a surprise team that that wins it in Nashville. So that begs the question. What team, not named Kentucky, Auburn, LSU, or Florida, is best positioned to make a deep run and potentially win the SEC tournament? I mean, based on the, the where everybody's going to be seated, you would say Mississippi State, but I wouldn't say Mississippi State. Um, I mean, if Arkansas, if, you know, I don't know. Alabama is intriguing to me because they hit threes. And so on any given night, they might hit 15 of them, and you have that gives you a problem. Like, I, I can see that. I mean, maybe Bridgestone Arena really suits the eye, and yeah. you have Kyra Lewis go crazy. And But, but Alabama without John Petty is a different deal. He's playing. I mean, the, okay, he, he is back. I, I, I'm pretty sure I saw that on Twitter today, yeah. Okay, well, a healthy John Petty, if he's able to go at, you know, 80, 90, 100%, maybe that does make them a, a, a team that can make her. I don't think that South Carolina can win four games in four days. I think they could win a couple. I don't really think that team is, is built to win four in oh, four wow. days. Sorry about that. MSU just hit so, a buzzer beater at the, at the end of the half to take a one-point lead uh, on LSU at the end of the uh, second quarter. All right, so Mississippi State about goes into the locker room. Beater, that is. Wow. What's the score? 26-25 Mississippi State. Assuming that counts, they're going to the locker room, so I guess it's good. Okay. There you go. Maybe a little tighter than anticipated? Well, LSU played State really tough here in Starkville uh, earlier in the season, and they're they're a very tough team. They play very hard. But, uh, yeah, that's good. That shot is good. Andrew Espinosa-Hunter from half court. That's always fun. Yeah. All right, so so if we assume, let's just let's quickly walk through them. 
we assume the top four seeds are, are what they are right now. Kentucky, Auburn, LSU, Florida. Mississippi State's the five seed. Could they win four games in four days? God, I don't think so, no. Just no evidence to point to them being able to do that, to, to play right. consistently in four consecutive games. From a, South Carolina went... from a talent standpoint, Mississippi State could do that. But they, they don't, they, I don't think they have what it takes to do that, if that makes sense. I'm not sure if they've got the depth to win four in four days. That's true, too. I don't really see Tennessee doing that. A&M, no. Alabama, maybe. I don't think Arkansas can. And then you get into teams that would have to win five in five days. Yeah. Ole Miss, Missouri, Georgia, Vanderbilt. Is there any reason to think that Kentucky will not win this tournament? Aside from its basketball and, you know, things happen. But just... Yeah, yeah. the, the reason for me that Kentucky might not win it is because they've had so much trouble holding on to big leads. This Kentucky team has had trouble closing. They led by 15 in the second half against Tennessee at home at Rupp and lost by, what, eight earlier this week? Yeah. Now, they're 14-3, and three and they had a stretch where they won eight in a row in the SEC. I mean, that, that, that's obviously a good team. It's a talented team. Uh, they may have the best trio of guards in the country with Hagens and Quickly and Maxey. And, and it feels like Nick Richards has not played as well over the last couple of weeks. Kentucky's the most talented team. I think it, I think it could be a fun SEC tournament. It's not – I don't know that it's the headline-grabbing tournament. In terms of conference tournaments that I'm most interested in watching, it's not even close. It's the Big East. First of all, it's in the Garden, which is the best setting for college basketball anywhere. And the Big East is a beast this year. That thing is wide open. Sorry, I know we didn't want to necessarily go into a Big East basketball tournament conversation. But to me, that's the one that's going to be the most fun. Closing thoughts for Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.